Welcome to Policy Today. Thoughtful discussion of current issues vital to the future prosperity of Washington State. Produced by the Washington Research Council. This is Lou Moore. I'm the president of the Washington Research Council, and I'm here today with Chris Showbloom, who's our vice president for research and economist, as well as Emily Makings, our senior research analyst. And today we're going to talk about the House's bid in the budget competition for 2015. Uh, They've come out with a budget. Emily, what's up with the House of Representatives? Well, the House Appropriations Chair has proposed a budget for 2015-17 biennium, and it would increase near general fund state plus opportunities pathways spending by $5.173 billion over over the 2013-15 levels. So the actual total would be $38.967 billion. That's not an insignificant increase. No, and it's, um, but it's about $25 million less than what the governor had proposed earlier this year. So it's definitely in the same ballpark as the governor's proposal. This includes both maintenance and policy level changes. Maintenance level is the cost of continuing current policies, accounting for caseload changes and other, other changes. And policy level means the cost of newly proposed policies. So in the chairman's proposal, maintenance level changes increased spending by a net of $5.3 billion. And policy level changes would decrease spending by a net of $163 million. Okay, that's interesting. So, uh, but there's a little twist to the maintenance level uh, this year, isn't there? Well, the maintenance level includes the costs of implementing the initiatives uh, 1351 and 732. 732 was the initiative from 2000, which created an automatic COLA for teachers. And it has not been funded in many recent years. 1351 was the initiative that was voted on uh, last November, and it would reduce class sizes in grades K through 12. So that's included in the maintenance level. However, policy changes include essentially repealing 1351, the House chairman proposes to essentially repeal 1351. They would fund the portions that would reduce class sizes in K through 3, which are already supposed to be implemented pursuant to the McCleary decision. So basically, they're just saying they're not going to fund 1351. Okay, so just to, to make sure we're all clear on this, they're going to fund uh, increases in K through 3, which is technically at this point an implementation of both 1351 and McCleary, but in fact, they're moving at the same time to repeal the remainder of 1351 that isn't right. duplicative of McCleary. Right. right. They're keeping a few minor things from 1351, like guidance counselors, but the large portion of it, the $2 billion cost in the next biennium, is just not going to be funded. Okay. The proposal would increase spending for basic education by $1.4 billion. Mm -hmm. They would increase funding for K-12 salaries and benefits by $356 million. And in higher ed, they would freeze resident undergraduate tuition. They would increase funding for the Opportunity Scholarship Program and the State Need Grant. They would spend significant funds for early learning and child care and also for mental health programs and they would increase spending for state and higher education employee salaries. Okay, and that's going back to 732 then? That Partially, uh-huh. but they're also increasing it beyond 732. Okay, 
So there's some significant new spending then in this budget. Yes, there is. And they're going to have to figure out a a way to pay for it. Mm -hmm. First of all, 2015-17 biennium revenues are estimated to increase by $2.9 billion over 2013-15 to total $37.1 billion. Second, the proposal would make some fund transfers and it includes some assumed reversions. So they assume some spending will not be made. And then third, they would increase taxes by $1.468 billion. Ah, okay. So, but before we get to tax increases or tax proposals that include increases, that estimated increase that you first mentioned, almost $3 billion, Mm -hmm. that's from economic growth then primarily? Economic growth, there's a little bit of inflation that shows up in that also. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's the, it's the normal kind of movement of revenue into the system. Not a it, small amount of money. No, it's not. $3 billion. Okay, so how are they going to pay for all this? So the tax proposals are held in separate legislation, HB 2224. They include a capital gains tax, which would be a 5% tax rate. They don't split out the revenue estimates of each of these proposals, but I've mm-hmm. seen some estimates that would say that the capital gains tax would bring in about $570 million. The proposal would also permanently reinstate the BNO surtax for business services. Um, this had been in effect from 2010 to 2013, and there are some estimates that show that that would increase revenues by $530 million or so. And then there are a number of tax preferences that the bill would repeal. It would apply the sales tax to bottled water. It would apply the sales tax to purchases by non-residents instead of just getting an automatic, instead of automatically not having to pay the sales tax, they would have to request a refund. It would increase the B&O tax rate for travel agents, sellers of prescription drugs, and for royalty income. It would apply the use tax to extractive fuel and it would apply the real estate excise tax to foreclosure transfers. Um, altogether, these um, would, co- would yield about $300 million in revenue. And then lastly, the proposal would require out-of-state businesses to collect Washington sales tax from Washington residents. And this is a really questionable proposal. Chris, I think you have some yeah, things to add. The, um you know this this out of state uh, the sales tax on remote sales the um, uh, internet sales and such has been a really um, controversial issue over uh, quite a number of years. The Supreme Court has limited the ability of states to actually impose a collection oblig- obligation on out of state sellers who are selling into the state. However, uh, very recently there was a Supreme Court decision in which. Uh, one of the justices wrote in his opinion that he thought it was time for the Supreme Court to revisit this whole this whole area and sort of inviting some, um, uh, a case to come before them. Um, and I think this is this was a, in part a response by our legislature to that invitation. They're trying to tee up a case to go to the Supreme Court. And may well be successful in getting the ability to uh, to require out-of-state uh, retailers to uh, 
collect tax for them. However, uh, it will take quite a while for such a case to work its way to the Supreme Court and for a decision to be announced. And I don't see any way that we could have a decision on this within the time frame of the 2000. Uh, 15, 17 budget. So I, I don't think you can count on that revenue at all for um, for that uh, period. Well, as you mentioned that, Chris, just going back down through this list, Emily, of these uh, tax proposals, let's start with a 5% capital gains tax. Uh, Chris, you've covered that in an earlier uh, special yes. report. Yes. But what's the likelihood of a capital gains tax? Oh, I think, I think it, it's... There are a couple different issues about likelihood. What's the likelihood of of the tax actually being uh, a bill for the tax actually passing the the house? Uh, and that's not it's not all clear that you that they can get enough um, uh, votes to pass it through the house. Then it gets over to the Senate, and there seems to be adamant position on the on the part of the the ruling caucus over there that uh, that this is a non-starter. Um, then if it gets, if you happen to get you know, through both houses, there's the issue of whether this would be constitutional or not. Um, so I think that uh, it's not a particularly um, strong proposal. Um, but we shall see. It's, it, watching this is going to be one of the, uh, the fun things over the next month, if we're lucky, three months if we're not. Looking at the uh, real estate excise tax uh, to foreclosure transfers, that sounds a little bit abstract or isolated, but there are a lot of foreclosure transfers occurring right now all over the state, so that's an interesting thing. I think it's a way of dinging the banks is basically what's happening here, you know, there. You know, there's not a lot of public sympathy for banks these days, so they're an easy target. Mm -hmm. And I see the uh, tax on uh, bottled water has reemerged after some previous controversy. Yes, uh, yes. Yeah, it was actually repealed by voters via initiative a few years ago. And part of a a package where a number of things were being uh, repealed, and it would be interesting to see, you know, you're likely, I think, on this if they if they impose it to see a uh, an attempt to referendum or initiative it back back out. Um, interesting to see how the voters will go on that. I was starting to have a pang of sympathy uh, when Emily talked about the B and O tax rate to be increased for travel agents, since most of what we traditionally knew as travel agents, those folks do not exist. But I'm taking this this might be more directed at a group like Expedia. Is that the case, or do we know? I really don't know on that. I mean, there are not too many travel agents, as in somebody down the street that you call and they book everything for you. How many of those are left in the whole United States, much less in Washington State? So yeah, they travel agents used to used to be sort of cover their overhead by um, um, what what they got from the airlines for selling mm-hmm. tickets, and that that portion of their business has gone away. Mm-hmm. I would assume they're meaning the new business model, perhaps it's on the internet, but we can find out more about that later. So what's the bottom line here, Emily? Is this a balanced budget? Their balance sheet does show a projected ending balance of $344 million, and total reserves, including the budget stabilization account, of $1.2 billion. But as Chris said, some of the revenues that they're depending on are a little questionable for whether or not they'll actually come in in 2015-17. So that remains to be seen. Yes. Emily and I were talking about earlier today the uh, 
Uh, it seems to me that the, even the revenue estimates uh, for the um, capital gains tax, assuming that it passes, it gets all the way through the hurdles it faces, may be questionable. Um, mm-hmm. That uh, if you looked at uh, early information on the federal returns for 2013 shows uh, capital gains revenues down by. 12%, I think it is. And it's possible that this is a reflection of the increase in federal capital gains taxes that came in beginning January 1, um, 2013, so that this uh, depressed level may continue going forward because of the higher level of federal capital gains taxes now uh, being hmm. imposed. Um, and the revenue forecasters have been estimating the flow of capital gains in an environment where the federal level taxes were very low, that history is not really relevant going forward. Okay. All right. Well, Emily, thank you very much for this report. The drama will continue. Uh, the Senate will respond and they'll all engage and we'll see what happens next. So thank you so much. This is Lou Moore with the Washington Research Council. I'm here today with Chris Showbloom and Emily Makings. Thank you so much for joining us. Policy Today is a production of the Washington Research Council, dedicated to providing timely, credible research and policy analysis supporting economic vitality and private sector job creation. For more information, go to researchcouncil.org.